Well, we are in um, our <clears throat> current series from the book of Habakkuk. And this is called Strong Faith for Confusing Times. There's no doubt that you and I live in confusing times these days. And today's message is simply called Choices, which kind of fits in with our song. You need to learn to trust and obey. I think all of us have heard at one time or another that uh, our choices matter. Uh, We know this is true because basically all of our life up to this point are based upon all of the choices that we have made. Uh, As someone said, we make our choices and then our choices turn around and make us. And as I was pondering this message and everything that's been going on the last week or two and rereading Habakkuk, I realized that at my age, I am nothing more than the the sum total of all the choices that I have made over my 77 years of life to this point. Now, I could quote Popeye just for my brother-in-law, I am what I am, and that's all what I am. (laughs) But if I want to put it in in a a different term, uh, I am what I am, I am am where I am, doing what I do as a result of thousands upon thousands of choices that I have made over a long period of time. Now, because our choices matter, it's really interesting that the Bible actually speaks of them quite often. Now, for example, on, uh, on the screen, I think you see, I put down, there's a lot of Bible fans. You can look at those on your own. Uh, I think they might be somewhere else, but uh, if you don't, we'll find them later. But I'm going to kind of touch on just a little bit of each of these Bible verses about choices. I mean, for example, at the end of uh, the life of Moses... Uh, Moses in Deuteronomy says, now choose life so that you and your children may live. Now, there's a choice. You get a little bit further, Joshua, when he's an old man and he's about ready, uh, a, about ready to die, he actually says, choose this day for whom you will serve. But then you know the tail end of this verse, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, later, Elijah, one of my favorite guys, in First Kings says, how long will you waver between two opinions? I mean, you've got two different opinions. You're going to have to choose one or the other. If it's the Lord, follow him. If not, follow all those crazy Baal worshipers. Solomon, who's supposed to be the wisest guy who ever lived, Proverbs, uh, there's an easy way that seems right to man. But guess what? It's the way to death if you choose that. And there's a solemn warning even by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. This will be a little longer. Jesus says, enter through the what? Narrow gate. Narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads, where? To destruction. And those who enter it are, what, few? No, many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So that kind of brings me back to where I began and that is that our choices, the choices you and I make, really do matter. We make choices and then our choices kind of make us. Now, never is this more important, I believe, than when you live in hard times. And I think we're living in some difficult times in these last numbers of years. And sometimes it seems like every time we turn around, some other part of life smacks us right in the face. You know, whether it's COVID or whether it's inflation or whether you're accused of this or accused of that or you side with this issue or you side with the other issue, you're just getting bombarded all the time. See, but when trouble comes into your life, 
you find out very quickly what it really is that you believe. And that's what's happening now in Habakkuk. We're, we're getting out of chapter 1. We're going to get into chapter 2 today. And he's finding out what it is that he really, truly believes. And God is bringing him face to face with the choices he is now going to have to make. And if you remember back when I started this message, I told you that Habakkuk is, is recording a conversation uh, between himself and God. In chapter 1, they're kind of speaking back and forth to each other. And Habakkuk is like, Lord, how long is this nonsense going to last? And he says, well, the just will live by their faith. But now in chapter 2, um, we've got um, God talking to Habakkuk. And then chapter 3, they're both going to, uh, Habakkuk is going to talk back to God. So as we pick up the story today in Habakkuk chapter 2, Habakkuk is a man who is waiting for an answer. And God gives him three answers. You'll see these on the screen. Here's the very first thing. He said, you're going you're gonna to write, you're going to wait, and you're going to remember. Now, here's the first part, write. And you see, he says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may actually run with it. Now, I like the way the Living Bible, which is kind of a paraphrase, put it. It says, write my answer on a billboard. Now, if you're like Jeff and me who come down this one road, how many billboards do you pass coming down here? They're just littered. I mean... Branson, we ought to call this Branson the city of billboards. But put it on a big billboard, make it so large and clear that anybody could read it at a glance and then rush to tell other people about it. In other words, God wants to make what he's about to say very, very clear. He said this is not some secret, uh, coded message. Instead, it's a message not just for Habakkuk, but for the entire nation. But here's the second thing he asked me to do. He says, we're well, going to wait. Verse 3, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it proves not to be false. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. And so today, friends, I would say, understand this. God sometimes may seem very slow in acting. That's for sure. But he's never late. Uh, one of my friends down in prison says, one thing I like about our God is he's an on-time God. Uh, he's never on time, all the time. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this when you've been praying for something really big, and the answer, well, it just seems like you're not getting an answer for the longest time. You're just kind of like waiting forever. Now, I'll tell you personally that when I'm doing this, I'm, when I'm kind of really concerned about something, it seems like I have to wait and wait and wait. And I'll be honest with you, there are times when I just say, the heck with it, I give up. But then, a couple of days later, after I have slid into agnosticism or despair or uh, anything else, and I'm saying to myself, where is God when I need him? Uh, he can't even hear me. I mean, God, God has just shut his ears to me. Then all of a sudden... Boom, I get this answer out of nowhere. Now, why does it happen like that? Why does God delay at times? Well, there are many, many answers. And we get to talk back time if you want to know more of them later. We can list a few of them for you. But chief among these answers is God will not share his glory with anyone. I mean, think about that for a moment. God will not share his glory with anyone. Now, sometimes he delays his answers. I'm going to give you one reason I think he does. It's because he doesn't want us later to say, 
Well, it was my, my faith that made a difference. No, it wasn't your faith that made a difference. That, that plays it, but it was God who did it. I mean, he answers in his own time. He answers in his own way so that we end up saying what? To God be the glory and to him alone. So God here is talking to Habakkuk. He's talking to Barry. He's talking to all of us here. Not today or tomorrow, but the answer is on the way. Hold on. Wait for it. It will certainly come. The Babylonians that you're so worried about, they are going to be judged and they will be destroyed. God will someday balance the scales of justice. But, like I said, there's always a but somewhere. But he's not working on Barry's timetable. He doesn't even work on Jeff's timetable. Lou, he's not on your timetable. Nancy, he's not on your timetable. He's got his own timetable. So remember that the next time when you think about giving up on a prayer. But here's the third thing he says. Remember, see the enemy is puffed up like that. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. We covered that a week or so ago. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Now, the he in this little verse, because he, you see that word in there, it kind of refers to the uh, Babylon as personified by this king called Nebuchadnezzar. And historically, uh, Babylon was as greedy as the grave. Uh, you don't know any governments that are really greedy today, do you? You know, they're willing to suck you dry at a moment's notice. See, the empire had spread itself to the point where it literally conquered most of the known world. I mean, nothing seemed to satisfy this government's hunger for more and more and more and more. There was always another nation to subdue. There was always another city to overrun. There was always another army to defeat. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all this terror and upset, what should the people of God do? Well, the answer comes at the tail end of verse 4 when he says the righteous person will live by his faithfulness, or more simply, the just shall live by his faith. Now, two weeks ago, I'm backing up two weeks ago when we went through this, uh, what, did we, what do you do when people are trying to kill you? The just will live by faith. What do you do when the enemy is trying to destroy your home? Well, the just will live by faith. What do you do when your loved ones are taken into captivity or die? The just will live by faith. See, that little phrase tucked at the end of verse 4 became for Paul the real hallmark of what he considered to be the Christian gospel. He quotes it again in Romans chapter 1 and in Galatians chapter 3 as proof that the gospel of Jesus, believe it or not, is already starting way back in the Old Testament. Now, as we also learned two weeks ago, uh, 1,500 years after Paul got really ignited about this verse, there was another guy who got really hopped up. His name was Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther, I'm going to read this quote. I shared it two weeks ago. Luther wrote this, When by the Spirit of God I understood these words, the just shall live by faith, I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. So if you know anything about Lutheranism, you know, sola fide, sola scriptura, yeah, all of this, that, that was Luther. Now the question is, how much of this did Habakkuk understand? Well, I would say not much. 
Only the part about living by faith. While waiting for Babylon to be judged. The rest of it, the part that Paul understood, that Luther understood, was hidden from his eyes. Now, Habakkuk wanted Babylon to be punished. And God was saying, the just will live by faith. Don't worry about it. The time will come. Any Johnny Cash fans here? I'm the man in black today. At the tail end of Johnny Cash's life, he wrote this song called God's Gonna Cut You Down. This is Habakkuk 2. This is what this Johnny Cash sang. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar, that midnight writer, tell that rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell them that God's going to cut them down, tell them that God's going to cut them down. Pretty ominous words when you think about it. I mean, that song kind of fits the rest of chapter 2 here in Habakkuk because it says simply, you know, hold on to your shorts a while, Habakkuk, but the mighty empire of Babylon, God's going to cut them down. And then he conveys this message with five woes. We're going to take a look at these five woes. You find them in verse 6, 9, 12, 15, and and 19. And take them together, they are this giant indictment against Babylon. And I suppose, if you're like me, you may go, as you're listening to this, you go, are we living in Babylon today? Could these woes be things we should take serious in 2022? Well, here's the first one, extortion. Extortion. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods or money that didn't belong to them in the first place. I mean, this perfectly describes the Babylonians because when they took a city, they plundered it. They took all of the money, they took all of the gold, all of the silver, they took all of the crops, all of the cattle, anything that was of value, they carried off. And so they grew rich through the misery of everyone else. But God promises a day of judgment in verse 7. There will, they will become, then you will become their prey. And because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. Now, Babylon got away with this for a long, long time because no one dared stand up against them. But God saw it all and he said, there's the day when I'm going to cut you down, when the scales of justice are balanced again. That's that first woe. The second woe is arrogance. Verse 9, Woe to him who builds his house on, by unjust gains, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. Now, we, we can go back and say, this really describes the walls of the city of, ba- or of walls in Babylon. Some places they say the walls were 100 feet high, and it was a 40-mile wall that surrounded their capital. The Babylonians, just like Jericho, remember we did Jericho a couple months ago when we were going through Hebrews, fought themselves invulnerable. Who can attack us? They believed no army could ever breach their fortification. They believed that there could be no invasion across their northern or southern borders. Does that sound familiar? Uh, But look at what happens in verse 11. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Now, many years, and I have time to go into this story, but maybe we'll go back to this book of the Bible sometime. But Belshazzar, in case you're looking for a name for a grandchild or a kid someday. I wouldn't suggest Belshazzar, by the way. He's the last king of Babylon. 
uh, he, was, he decided to throw a really big banquet uh, that turned into a kind of a drunken orgy. And it was interrupted by suddenly as they're eating, this finger appeared out of nowhere and started writing on the wall. Now, what it wrote was many, many Tekel and Parson. Those of you that understand Babylonian and whatever, you know exactly what that means. I'll get to that. But if you want to read about that story, go home today and read Daniel chapter 5. Essentially, it just says you've been weighing the balances and found one. You come up a little short. Your days are about to end. They had been weighed in the scales of justice. And it was out of whack. Now their kingdom would be taken, divided between the Medes and the Persians. And that very night, the king who threw that big wild party died. His kingdom collapsed and mighty Babylon disappears. Third woe, bloodshed. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. See, God hates those people who build an empire on bloodshed. And obviously this applies to nations today who use military might to conquer the weak and the defenseless. But in the midst of these words of judgment comes a glimpse of a happier day. In verse 14 it says, But the earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And here what what God is doing is kind of pulling back the curtains a little bit to get us a glimpse of the world that is to come when Jesus comes back. And there's going to come a time, he says, when the earth will be filled. But be filled with what? But just think about it. Jesus is going to come back. As far as I'm concerned, you do before I get done with the sermon today. Uh, But Jesus is going to come back to this world that rejected him, uh, not with the knowledge of bloodshed. Jesus is going to come back not with the knowledge of pornography, not with the knowledge of immorality, not with the knowledge of injustice or with the knowledge of greed. God intends to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of the glory of God when he comes back. It is very significant that he actually uses the word here, the whole earth. It's just not he's going to come back to Branson and Hollister. He's inhabiting the whole earth. When he says that, he means it quite literally. He's talking about this little ball of dirt, this little, what, third rock from the, from the sun. He means this earth that you and I actually live in today. This earth that at one point, and even today, has no use at all for the Son of God. He's coming back to this earth that mocks his doubt, mocks his, his life and doubts his character that refused to believe that he was the Messiah, that falsely accused him, uh, that preferred to let a guilty man by the name of Barabbas go free, uh, that hated everything he stood for, uh, that accused him of actually being in league with the devil, uh, that beat him without mercy, uh, that made him carry his own cross, that crucified him between two thieves and then watched him die in agony. He's He's coming back to that world, the world you and I live in. But, I like that word, but God intends to bring his son back, back to the same world that rejected him the first time. And one day the glory of the Lord is going to fill this earth. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When I was speaking and teaching in almighty Kazakhstan a number of years ago, that passage came up 
and it was surprising because I, I kind of quoted that and I said, you know, there's going to come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the entire group stood up and gave that Bible passage a standing ovation. And I was somewhat taken aback. But when I realized that people had come all over from Southeast Asia that were being persecuted all over the place, they were looking for the day when God would come back and put the enemy back in its own place. Now, we're not there yet. But it will be a day with injustice gone. Imagine that. Violence gone. Nobody taking an airplane and threatening to crash it into Walmart. Terror gone. Threats gone. Abuse gone. Pornography gone. Abortion gone. Divorce gone. Perversion gone. Liars gone. Blasphemers gone. This is going to come a day when that's all going to be gone. But we're not there yet. But it will be a day when Jesus comes back. It's kind of hard to believe this when we live here in 2022 because we live in a world filled with all sorts of violence. We see the cruelty, we see the killing around us, and we all long for a much better day. But someday there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we say, well, if you want to join me, even so come Lord Jesus, and now would be okay with us. There's a fourth woe, though. Immorality. It gets a little bit worse here. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pouring from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Well, it's not quite as bad as our sermon on Rahab a number of months ago. (laughs) But this is pretty raw stuff here. This is indelicate, and, and, and quite honestly, this is meant to be that way. It's meant to get our attention. I mean, here's God's condemnation of people who use alcohol as a tool for seduction for immoral purposes now we all know i mean all of us know alcohol changes behavior i don't care whether it's just you got a single beer with your pizza on a sunday night or whatever Uh, a person under the influence of alcohol particularly a lot of it uh, will say and do things that the next morning they kind of go i can't believe i did that and god promises judgment on those who use alcohol as a tool that, to lead other people into immorality. Now, you can justify it in your own mind, uh, but I, I would suggest to you, God's not fooled on this issue. Uh, when you entice other people to drink so that they lower their standards, uh, you're coming up against the God who created that person. Verse 16 gives us God's response. He said, you will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. See, what he's saying is what goes round comes round. Here's the fifth woe. Idolatry. Idolatry. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or lifeless stone, wake up. I think you're worshiping the wrong thing there. This is idolatry. I mean, who in the... I hate to put it this way. Who in their right mind would believe that praying to some chunk of stone would make a difference? I, I have a hard time wrapping that around my head. I mean, yeah, you can pray to all the rocks you want. I and mean, we got plenty of them here in, in, in Taney County. Uh, besides all the other obvious points against idol worship, I think here's, the, here's, here's my biggest argument against it. It's a waste of time. I mean, why waste, why waste your time? I mean, God's indictment of the Babylonians ends this way in verse 20. The Lord is where? In his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent 
before him. Now, it's interesting. A lot of churches use that verse as a call to worship. Everybody comes in and the pastor says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I guess that's okay. But I think this is a word of judgment. You can argue with me, but this is kind of a word of judgment. I had to go back and look up that word in Hebrew to see what be silent means. It means this. Shh, hush, shut your mouth. Anyway, you look at it. God looks at the nations in all of their clamor, chasing all kinds of gods and all kinds of things like this. And he says, Shh, hush, be quiet. I'm about to judge the earth. Uh, I'll judge Babylon in my own time. I'll judge it in my own way. Their downfall is certain because I, the Lord, have said so. So hush with your complaints. I've given you my answer. Will you believe it? Well, in 605 B.C., 605 years before Christ comes into the world, Babylon looked totally invincible. But less than a century later, it was nowhere to be seen. But you know, waiting for this is really hard. How long, O oh Lord, is this going to last? My mother-in-law turned 100 this last week. She's pretty good health yet. She's pretty spry. She's a feisty old, I was going to say feisty old broad. I shouldn't say that. She, she's, a, she's got a great sense of humor and everything. And, you know, living to be 100 would be okay, but live, I've lived enough. And I, I've, I've prayed with people in the last week, you know, I mean, I buried a friend's wife who was 46. Uh, Sue's in her mid-60s, 70. Um, but waiting is, is hard. It's easy to doubt what God is doing, and you kind of wish God would speed it up a little bit. Uh, but God says, will you wait for me? We wait for me. Now, the world says, don't just stand there, do something. And I think God is up, up in heaven or somewhere and says, don't just do something, stand there. <laughs> just stand here. Uh, let me take care of it. I'm, I got this under control. Now, we hear today uh, this little phrase um, about being on the wrong side of history. Have you heard that phrase before? We're kind of living on the wrong side of history. Now, let's be honest. Nobody wants to be on the wrong side of history. Uh, no one wants to be seen as, as a narrow-minded bigot. No one wants to be singled out for ridicule because of their particular stance being a Christ follower. But I want to remind you that history, if you look at it, is really what? Two words. His story. It's the outworking of God's plan for the human race. And so the right side of history is which side? It's not the world's side. It's not America's side. It's not the president's side. It's not the mayor's side. It's not my side. It's God's side. That's the right side of history. It's the outworking of God's plan for all the human race. Uh, it's never determined by the latest poll numbers or the latest the decree that comes out from our government, whether it be local or national. I mean, those who line up with the cultural forces of today uh, will find themselves out of step with God tomorrow. That's the whole point of Habakkuk chapter 2. Which side of the fence do you want to stand on? God's side? Or Babylon's side. Now, you can side with Babylon and you can win for a while. And you may even win big for a while. Or you can take sides with God and choose eternity. 
So you don't have to answer this question out loud, but uh, what side are you on? Team Jesus or Team Babylon? Now, right now, uh, I'll be honest with you, Team Babylon seems to be winning. If you watch enough news, they largely control the media in the United States. They control a large portion of the entertainment industry. They control many of our major universities. They control many of the halls of power. And so Team Babylon seems to have a firm grip, or so it seems, on contemporary culture. And whether you know it or not, Team Babylon has a pretty good, pretty big recruiting budget. They got your money, they got my money, they got everybody's money. They keep signing, if you will, the five-star recruits. That's why many of our young people today flock to Team Babylon, believing that that's where the action really is. And even many Christians are kind of drawn to this kind of stuff like a moth to a, a, a light. Because uh, they like the sounds and they like the building that goes along with being on Team Babylon. Now, in football terms, it feels like we're starting the fourth quarter and Team Babylon has a four-touchdown lead. Well, maybe so. Maybe so. But the game isn't over. As they say, it ain't over till it's over. And the only score that matters is the final score. And that score, by the way, has already been predicted by God. Now, if you think this world's going to last forever, uh, here's my charge to you today. Join Team Babylon. And you'll have a front row seat when it all comes crashing down. But if you think God's word is true, then Team Jesus is for you. And, I don't know, 10,000 years from now, you'll, you'll still be glad you did. So all of us, it's kind of time to make a choice. I mean, whose side are you on? Well, I'm going to answer only for two of us. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, as for me and my family, my kids, my son and his wife, my daughter, my grandson... We choose to follow the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, help us to choose you over the call of Babylon. Help us to be on the right side of history, your side. And give us faith to believe that in the end all of your ways are right and you make no mistakes. We pray for courage to choose rightly because no one who trusts in you will ever be put to shame. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.